Hey, everybody. Welcome back to your favorite media response show. We are X's for Show. You can check us out at X's for Show on all your favorite social media. I'm Nico. You can check me out on Nico Actor. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on all your socials. And I'm TK. You can find me at X-Nate-X-Gray-X. And that makes me Kevo. And you can find me on the socials at Kevo, at Kevo Really. That's K-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And the question that we are asking today is, Boff Mary Off. For the main spotlight shows today, we have Nicholas Joseph Fury, Nathan from uh, Boats, as we are calling it, based on a true story, the Peacock original, and Joel McHale from Crime Scene Kitchen. Let's go, boys. All right. Um, I'm going to fuck Joel McHale. I'm going to marry Nathan because that's going to be a healthy marriage with a lot of good sex. Uh, so I get everything I want. And uh, I'm going to kill Nick Fury because I guarantee you I can't. And uh, so no one has to die. No one dies tonight. See, that's why I have the same answer for Nick Fury. I stay off Nick Fury because he's just going to find his way back anyway. I can't really agree with Nathan uh, being the one to marry because there's something shady about him. I don't know. So uh, he's going to have to be the F for me. And Joel McHale, you know, all these years, I feel like, I don't know. For as big and as 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 angry as he can be, I think he can be trained. So I'm going to go with Mary. Uh, I am going to marry Nick Fury because that gives me access to a lot of power and state secrets. And uh, I value that more than uh, sex. And uh, if I'm going to pick my murder, if I'm really going to murder. So I don't want to murder Nick Fury. That's not getting me any like thrills. Uh, I'm going to fucking kill Joel McHale. I'm sick of his shit. Uh, I'm gonna do it with a smile on my face. Yeah! Don't get me wrong. If Nick Fury were not on this list, he might be an option for for fuck. Uh, but in this case, I will be killing him. I'm gonna marry Nathan because uh, I could fix him. Uh, I am one of those people that just looks at a sad mess and goes. I can fix that, and then I wind up woefully upset about my terrible decisions. Although, to be fair, it's been a few years since I've done that, so maybe this is my next try. Well, let's jump in with our first try at today's episode. We're going to be taking a look at the crime senior side of stuff and uh, enjoying some of the weird spooky going on on uh, TV. We're going to be taking a look at Secret Invasion, Crime Scene Kitchen, and based on a true story. Now, each one of these is something a little bit different. Uh, Secret Invasion streaming show on Disney Plus uh, dropping weekly based on a true story dropped all at once over on Peacock. Now, Secret Invasion, not really based on the comic series, but like based on the Marvel Universe, I guess. And kind of not based on, but uh, reflective of the five issue mini that they just yeah. published. Not in any way reflective of the original secret invasion that came out in 2009 except for the idea that scrolls could anybody could be a scroll and right. so then based on a true story in the same way that anybody could be a scroll uh has nothing to do with that uh the same way the new secret invasion has nothing to do with the original right <laughs> and based on a true story was a complete peacock drop that's uh from our perspective kind of only murders in the building kind of you um but TK says kind of White Lotus. Yeah. Uh, kind. I think they saw how successful White Lotus was and thought, I bet they already had this, but I think they thought 
we can make this like White Lotus. They failed, and how you know is you haven't seen a single meme from this show. You know, there is no Jennifer Coolidge. That is not to say that this isn't a good show, but they did not play their cards right when it comes to making a black comedy uh, that titillates the meme generation. We'll get into it. So then we're also going to be taking a look at Crime Scene Kitchen with Joel McHale, which is going to, uh, it's a weekly reality competition show. It's a cooking show. It's so good. We're going to explain all about it, but it has absolutely as much to do with crime as Sports Night had to do with sports. So uh, it's definitely in that Charlie's Angels law enforcement category. Um, But I want to kick things off by asking the guy with the least secret invasion experience for a little bit of reflection on this show. You know, we're going to keep secret invasion pretty short because our new format with our highlights and spotlights, we're going to be making sure to spotlight some new material every week and then keep it going in the highlights at the back end. So secret invasion is something that I think is going to yield more as it goes. So we're not going to get too, too, too hard into it, but you know, Kevo scrolls, uh, Nick J Fury, uh, no captain Marvel dead. No Maria captain Hill. Marvel. Dead Maria Hill. I know. Oh, yeah, we're What's spoiling going this, on? by the way. Sorry. Um, but that's our every episode. Yeah. You better that is, know. Yeah. Let me, let me flash our little alert, though. Red alert. Red alert. We do talk spoilers here. Um, yeah, that was really unexpected. And from uh, headlines that we have been seeing, it seems that that might actually be legitimate that that might have been the end for maria hill and that would be super sad because you know i've always loved robin sparkles and we never got to see maria sing so uh, you know i guess in the grand scheme of architecture you could say she died in the mall you know, that's like a veranda type. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like the National Mall at DC. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this storytelling choice, though. I really hope it's something along the lines of synergy of Maria Hill. Maria Hill. Oh my gosh. Kobe herself, the actor, not the fictional character. These are real people. I really hope it had something to do with maybe her just, you know, kind of being done with the character, which is okay. You've been playing the character for over 11 years. That's fine. But, you know, in terms of drama and it just felt kind of, oh, this is a big death to open with. Not, oh, wow, oh my gosh, I'm so sad. I'm more sad than I'll never see the character again. Not, like, gutted by the moment. And, but I'm fascinated that none of your responses to it are hope that this was, like, an LMD or something or a fake out. Because I just don't know. I really hope it is. I do. I hope it's something. um, But, you know, at the very least, headlines seem to be treating it like, nope, this is it. And that's that's what's so hard about uh, film and media these days where you can't tell, is that more of a fake out? Are they trying to convince us that it's real? So uh, who knows? That made me pretty sad, though. So, TK, how are you sitting with this? I know you said it's a lot like the Secret Invasion mini we just bust through over on our partner series where we talk about comics, X is for podcast. But uh, how did you feel about this Secret Invasion uh, first episode? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, 
it on the spectrum of Disney plus Marvel streaming shows was more in the realm of Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I did not enjoy so much. Uh, I'm, I'm a tough sell when it's not the real superhero-y stuff. When the American government is involved, I don't care if it's Dermot Mulroney as the president. I still check out uh, when the American government is involved. Unfortunately, that means I'm never super stoked to see Rhodey, but there he was. Uh, that was I, nice. Yeah, you know, it was, a, it was a cute cameo. All that said, I felt this was like, really atmospheric and vibey in terms of referencing the oeuvre of spy thrillers and pairing that very nicely with uh, Marvel standards. One of the things I said is I'm going to have to totally eat my words because as soon as we saw the still of Talos and Nick Fury kind of embracing each other very lovingly, I said, oh, because... It's his wife that is shape-shifted into Nick Fury because they would never put Nick Fury in the position of, like, that much affection with another man. And I was completely wrong. And that may seem like kind of a small thing, but it, to me it was a real moment of, like, oh, there's, like, uh, they're really going for the vibes with this all around in, in great ways. Um, bummed about Kobe... Mostly because we never got to really see Maria Hill surf cunt. And I've always lamented the lack of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the lack of, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. really returning and being S.H.I.E.L.D. I always thought we were destined for that to happen with Kobe as the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And really a bit of a, I'm not impressed by you, Tony Stark ballbuster as we get from her in the comics. And I still await that day. I am hoping this is a fake out, but, uh... The MCU really does not move with the same speed as the comics, and this has been quite a long time to be in the career position of playing this character for this actor. So I would not blame her if she said, this has been my tenure, I'm done. And, you know, it's in that way that I think what they're trying to do is create something new with this program. They're taking some of the stuff that just hadn't been run with from the first few phases, and they're saying... Leftovers are still delicious. And anybody who's ever taken, you know, the morning after Thanksgiving kind of stock of what they've got left and for lunch had like a delicious, you know, perfect leftovers plate. You know, that's kind of what I'm getting here, unfortunately. Uh, as much as I love a leftovers plate. I was going to say, why it, is that unfortunate? Uh, because it is leftovers. And it doesn't feel like there's a cohesive vision just yet. They're trying to treat it like it's a fresh meal is part of it. They're, not, they're, they're selling it like it's not leftovers. And that's, I think, part of the issue, which I really agree with. If we could just be a little bit more open and honest about level of importance, level of significance, but especially because they keep treating everything like the most important Marvel project, how can it be? And Don't it's okay. The show. If we accept that they're always going to do that because they're a company, is there any world in which we can kind of buy that as much as they will ever? Yeah, you know what I, I'm asking. But I can because like, I feel like they flat out say things like, She-Hulk, she's just the girl. And I feel like I they say stuff like, like the Eternals. I guess you can see this one. But I like, think it in 
think it invites the criticism as part of it. When you're not presenting it the way that it actually is, I think you're inviting people to poke fun at what feels really obvious sometimes. And, you know, this goes all the way back to our ongoing discussion of the changing nature of our experience of fandom. Uh, I guess I really kind of checked out on this one. And on the flip side, I hyped myself up for Eternals. So I was stoked mm. for Eternals. I, I guess I felt like marvel was too and i think maybe you know you're pointing out the truth which is that it was just me hyping it up for myself and meanwhile my expectations for this were none uh and i felt like marvel was kind of saying like yeah this is our next show uh and i'm fully here for the idea that marvel really actually was hyping it up and saying it was important I guess uh, from here, one thing I'm really curious to think about is like, what does it mean when you are a company that is constantly cooking and constantly going to produce leftovers to create leftovers products and have them be viable and enjoyable, but also be true to the fact that like you're clearly not getting Avengers Endgame. Yeah. And I... I think that's what we need. We need a middle ground that makes it okay. And I think a lot of your comparisons, it's not the comics, is actually really important. Because in comics, they would just call it, you know, West Coast Scroll Avengers, and we'd be fine with it, and nobody would think twice about it. Or they'd make it a five-issue mini. Yeah. And not, you know, we knew immediately when that five-issue secret invasion came out, this is not where the Marvel Universe changes forever and will never be the same and will never look at Jessica Drew the same way again. I think I thought I will be impressed if anything comes out of this. And weirdly, we ought to have a new Skrull Kill crew, but that's kind of going to have to be up to some random writer to be like, didn't somebody reinstate the Skrull Kill crew? I'll take them. Well, we are finishing up our coverage of Secret Invasion. So, Kevo, hit me with your final thoughts and then give me your final grade. Um, you know, I think as far as a first episode goes, it wasn't bad. And knowing that it is only going to be, what is it, six episodes? I think that it definitely does not have too much time for me to worry about it tanking. One of the interesting quotes that I read about the series is that the director was specifically told not to read the Secret Invasion comics. And instead, the sentiment is that a lot of what this series is built on is the image that I brought up, which is the relationship between Fury and Talos and the strength of their, you know, their friendship and their bond. And so that's a really... So that's something that we're going to have to be keeping an eye on. It's what makes me happy about this moment. And I really hope that we continue to see them play off of each other. And, you know, depending on how that ties into the choice to make it Secret Invasion, I'm I'm definitely on board. All right. So final grade. Uh, B. B. Okay. Teak, what you got? Uh, B plus grade. Uh, I thought it was totally fine i am completely uninvested which maybe it should get a lower grade because of that but i thought they did great for what they had i'll be interested to see if anything comes of this and if it doesn't i'll walk away and i won't care i'm gonna give it a b say i'm really looking forward to what comes next but uh the pilot was a little uneven for me and so i definitely need to uh see a little bit more of what comes but 
from a show about an alien invasion to a series that, you know, I think, uh, which one you're going to, Kevo? <laughs> I'm trying to vamp. <laughs> I'm going by the script. Oh, terrific. Okay. So, um, you know, based on a true story is one that I really thought was going to be a show that I just checked out to check out. I find Christmas Cena gorgeous. Uh, I think Kaylee Cuoco, right? That's her name is a uh, lovely and very talented Tom Bateman, uh, you know, AKA Mr. Daisy Ridley uh, really did a great performance. I had no idea what I was getting into with this. I thought it was going to be like a playful only murders in the building. And then it was a little bit Russian doll. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we sat down and said, like, you know, we know the shows that we love and that we're going to cover no matter what. But there's other TV out there. And we should we should cover some stuff that, like, were we not doing this show, we might not think to cover. And this was like coming out the day we had that conversation. And so it got put on the list, which I was totally psyched about. That was a Nico find. Uh, my expectations were zero. Uh, Chris Messina is like uh, absurdly perfect for a certain sector of gay men uh, to just be like the ultimate, the dream. Yeah. Um, Haley... Kaylee, I always I always confuse Kaylee Cuoco with Haley Kiyoko, uh, the singer, and that's not good. Uh, Kaylee, that's pretty fair, though. Yeah, um, you know, she's somebody I feel bad for because her whole career came out of the Big Bang Theory, and that is she is clearly clawing her way, kicking and screaming out of being. What? Oh, wait. Yeah, no, this is crazy. Wait for this. disagree. No, it does not. And actually, we were just having a conversation about how she has been working for like 22 years. She started on Eight Simple Rules with John Ritter, yeah. which obviously had the horrible twist and yet continued going long after he was dead with yeah, and- um, David Spade and James Garner, I want to say. Uh, she went from that to becoming basically the cousin Oliver on Charmed. Charmed, yeah. Where no, I'm not you know, that she, I'm not saying that she hasn't worked. She is a, a she has a but, career. But when you say the name, people go, "Oh, the girl from the Big Bang Theory." Yeah, sort of like Courtney Cox being on Family Ties and then on stage with Bruce Springsteen well before being on Friends. But people are like, you know, Courtney Cox, that's the Friends chick. Yeah, or Sarah I mean, Michelle I think Geller now they're sort of like Buffy. Courtney Cox is an old lady, but. Sarah Michelle Gellar is Buffy. She'd been working for years before that. She worked for years after. She continues to work after that, but she's Buffy. Uh, it's less insulting to call Kaylee the Big Bang person at this point than it is to call Sarah the Buffy person. Yeah, I pretty much yeah, agree. Yeah, she is. Um, but I want to really give her props because she's taking solid jobs. And she is a yes. good actor and she's clearly working. I don't think she's intentionally like, I got to get the stink of this off me, but I think no. she's not resting on her laurels and resting on what I imagine is a pretty fat residuals check uh, oh, yeah. from a show that is syndicated until the end of the earth <laughs> as one of the last, you know, multicam sitcoms that will probably uh, be viable. And one of the last things that's going to get a syndication package like right. that, because right. what the oh, fuck? Yeah, is get a sure. what, what is syndication going forward? You know what yep. I mean? Because like, Based on a true story, I remember when they cut Sex in the City and they were like, we're just going to call it and the city. 
then yeah. we're going to put it on WPIX at 1130 yeah. at night. And I remember that I cannot even figure out how you would begin to cut this yeah. for prime time. Yeah. Uh, that's another really fascinating thing. I feel like NBC, Universal, Peacock, NBC has always been really terrified of appearing too unfriendly to families. And it has really hamstrung Peacock content. And this is the first thing I'm seeing where I'm like, they now realize that Peacock is not NBC. And that while people will be like, oh, Peacock, NBC streaming service, they will trust that when they go to the streaming service, it's different content. It is not just the broadcast content done digitally. I think yeah. Disney is still in the process of figuring that out. Uh, Deadpool is going to be a real corner <laughs> turn from them for them in terms of like figuring out how their brand works with content that has F-bombs in it. Well, but, I mean, I think with Hulu, though, everywhere else in the world, Hulu is actually part of Disney Plus and it's called Star. Yeah. And so I think when they merge Hulu and Disney Plus into one app, I think they're just going to be like, whatever, just go to the fuck page. Oh, I think they will too, the but it works. really will be a, you know, for one of Marvel's most popular characters and therefore one of Disney's most popular characters yeah. to be this F-bomb person, you know, for the people that create Mickey Mouse, it's, they're going to do some stuff to feel that out and to make that work. And for me, this show was really NBC kind of doing the same thing with their streaming service. Uh, you know, it was not lost on me that it constantly was like, should we do a sex scene? And while it was definitely not broadcast ready sex scenes, um, there it was wasn't. Not yeah. Game of Thrones sex no, scenes. Yes. As Kevo pointed out, we did not see Chris Messina lift his ass to pull down his pants. It was just suddenly that his pants were around they his were ankles down. and he yeah. was getting a blowjob. Yeah. You know, um, and yeah. if I could just piggyback on that. Please. Oh. The thing that brings it to this category that it's based on this love of like crime scene stuff and the way we interact with crime media and crime fiction. And one of the reasons that has my attention is this is based on something that kind of doesn't exist on television. Like this is about podcast culture, which I, to this day, I think other than iCarly, you know, there aren't a yeah. whole lot of shows that are like, you know, the podcast show. It's what iCarly and frequency. And so I think that one of the things that this show says is, you know, podcasters out there, I see you. And it actually invites people who wouldn't be a part of broadcast media to find an inlet to broadcast media. And I also want to um, credit this show with something that I don't think enough shows get credited for, which is straight up fuck factor for the over 40s. The mm. fuck factor for old folks on this as a guy who's 37 as a guy who, you know, is is pushing that point at which Blue Book will no longer list me. I really appreciate how many people in this, you know, parts of them are probably old. And I really thought that it was hot old people. It was and I'm saying old playfully because I think um, I think Tom Bateman is two years younger than me. Uh, but but Chris Messina is 50. 
Yeah, and looks gorgeous. And just speaking of people who created this, Jason Bateman, that's right, Justine's brother um, is an executive producer. And I just, I don't know. I was charmed by this. This was not a waste of my eight hours. Oh, trigger warning. In case you are going to watch this, um, three things you should know. Number one, there is animal cruelty that made it really hard for me as somebody who only recently had his first dog. A uh, real hard moment for me. Uh, number two, uh, you are not prepared for Tom Bateman's back in the eighth episode. You are not prepared for the size of this man's Ooh. upper back. You're not. You're not. You're not. Um, and I really just need to say, a, as a as a homosexual during Pride Month, mm. Chris Messina making out with Tom Bateman like they were both going down on pussy was the hottest thing I have seen in some time. And it's not the tensest kiss. Like, you don't see the tongues flip back and forth. It's not Cleo and um, JFK Jr. making out in Clone High. But, but you see mouths open. You really see oh. that these men give it. Yeah. This is more chemistry than he ever had with Mindy Kaling on the Mindy Project. <laughs> God damn that mouth, boy. Did I make sure to screen cap it? Yes, I did. <laughs> I almost tried to make a gift, but uh, it didn't quite work. So I settled for this because there was no way I was not. And then, really? you know, he's so much taller than Chris Messina. I don't know. It just, it was a really sexy moment and uh the show is good at it's kind of like secret invasion for me in that way like it's very good at its vibes uh there's a lot of tension there's a lot of really tense like is this gonna work moments i think they pull that off really well uh there's a lot of really like god these people are pathetic and they know it and they want to not be pathetic and uh in the best way like because the character work is really solid but you get these moments where you think like oh i am sitting in the kitchen of a marriage in trouble uh and i really really get that and similarly there's a moment where uh haley or uh kaylee says um do you know we're the only couple stupid enough to not be having affairs <laughs> and it just really gave me a kind of honesty about the situation that I wanted and needed. And mm. to pair that with this like totally unbelievable concept that you could meet a serial killer and collaborate with him on a podcast. It all just, you know, for me, it really worked. I think the one thing maybe that did not work was... It really wanted to be funny, and it really wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't not funny, but it wasn't label yourself and pitch yourself as a comedy funny. It frequently, if it if it didn't make me laugh, I found it humorous. Like it wasn't always laugh out loud funny, but they did get themselves into situations that were funny. I also think they didn't really know. Not they didn't know, but what their idea of funny was was also just bizarre sometimes. One of the weirder sequences that I think is a good example of just a lot of the weirder sequences is um, everything about the dog in the in the um, auction episode. Uh, just everything, right up, in, right up, including uh, the dog having a fantasy sequence that we're made to understand is yeah. the dog is having this elaborate fantasy sequence and it's that thing of like 
that happens a lot where the makeout thing is is you know we had no idea what was going on you can you can frequently not be sure what is reality and what isn't and sometimes that's you know fun and it keeps the audience on his toes and sometimes it's just hard to follow and surreal and long and that's a lot yeah uh and I th- I think you you nailed it in terms of like the the quality and character of the humor. I think uh, you know comparing it to White Lotus, there are so few laugh out loud moments in White Lotus, but there are so many moments where you just feel in your body that this is the funniest fucking thing you've ever seen, and it is yeah. so absurd. And for this show, they like only get halfway there most of the time the dog fantasy sequence is really probably the best one and it is really good but it's missing that same uh dark comedy i might not be laughing but i'm having the time of my life and i think one of the big things it's missing is its own jennifer coolidge type character um Mm. or somebody of that stature who just like their presence on screen is hilarious in ways that you can't like define and you know i just want to comment on the nature of the um fantasy sequences as a term for them yeah part of what i loved about them was using them was manipulative because then we kept thinking oh anytime the show goes too far it's going to be a fantasy sequence yeah so three or four times when the things weren't fantasy sequences I found myself. You're like, wait, but of, what? Yeah. I I kept thinking when Ruby fell into the uh the room that she was not actually dead. She was going to be dead in a minute, and that it was like a manipulation of our expectation. And in that regard, I do think that as we move into our final thoughts on uh, based on a true story, this was a full season drop. This doesn't go on the spotlight, uh, the highlight board. This is a this is a one and done unless the show picks up. And I want to ask a question to you guys. You know, we were born up to the generation of like, when we were 17, 18, the mystery the generation of television occurred. That season that was lost, desperate, Veronica Mars, Grey's Anatomy, which Grey's Anatomy was even meant to kind of have a mystery, not really, a little bit, not really, you know. No, it had it had some ongoing serial plots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It wasn't all just, you know, Addison shows up and suddenly... But no, but that was one of them. Like, what's going to happen with Derek's marriage? It's obviously not as weird as what is the smoke monster. Or, you know, oh, Mary Alice, what did you do? Yeah, But... but you really did know, like, this is going to be a problem that has started early and is going to continue... As long as this show goes, because I don't think we thought at the time it was going 20 seasons. I'm too passionate about Grey's Anatomy. Sorry. No, and I really, I'm actually willing to, like, find a way to to engage with it. Don't. No, I want to. I want to engage in terrible media. I love to engage in terrible media. But, so, Veronica Mars, Desperate Housewives, Lost. They made us wait. This episode literally says, no, 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 this fucko is the killer in the first episode. Like, it doesn't, we kept being like, oh, so it's going to be the sister. The sister is the killer. And then at the end, when the sister is just making out with him, we're like, oh, see, she's the killer. She's not the killer. Like, we kept thinking there had to be more reveal. The reveal isn't who does what. The reveal is how fucked up we are for watching along with it, like everybody watching based on a true story in this universe. So I'm giving this show as an experiment an a the experiment of based uh, based on a true story votes as i like to call it 
Um, a the experiment really fucked me in the dick, just exactly how I wanted it. But uh, the actual show, I kind of got to give a B minus. So it averages a B plus for me in a really positive way. But a couple of times, I did feel like I was really close and like let go exactly when I needed them not to let go. And there were times that I was like, it's getting to be too much. I need you to let go. And they were like, no. And so for me, this show, and I feel like this show would of all things appreciate how sexually I just described it. I think, yeah, B minus for the product, A for the idea, and uh, an A plus plus hoping for a next season. How about you, TK? Uh, for me, it's just a B all around, uh, maybe kind of on the B plus around the higher B range. Uh, I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I would be happy to see another season. I felt one of the bigger misses was kind of not making me feel like uh, I could see the setup for the second season. We yeah. do end on a bit of a cliffhanger, but like I don't really care about that cliffhanger. And it's um, a situation that they've kind of found themselves in before. So I feel like, well, if I get a second season, I know they'll deal with it in approximately the same way they've dealt with similar situations. Where if they really wanted to get me, they would have to kind of be like and now something that means that if we get a second season we're going in a totally different direction that said i do hope they get one uh because this is really the ongoing story of two people that are trying to figure themselves out when they're probably too old to not have themselves figured out to this degree hold on wait let's just talk about it this this thing that's happening between us right I know that when you look at me, you're thinking, oh my God, her I knew it. I was like, he's gay. Beautiful man in the world. Like, Chris Messina and Tom Bateman actually have competition from the young man that she's fantasizing about, who's this like 25 year old billionaire. I'm so sorry. Please continue. It just highlighted your point. So, yeah, exactly. And, and, and thank you. So, it's watching that they are watching them be this big of a mess is actually a great ongoing thing that is worth another season. Uh, these are not complete characters where it's all wrapped up. So that's where I really hope that we get another one. Uh, and also just because if we could get more of the chemistry between Chris Messina and Tom Bateman, uh, it's it just really is off the charts and, uh, I will think about it every day until I start watching again. They are a Flatbush, Xavier, and Magneto is what they Truly, fucking that are. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, so, Kevo, I want to ask you your opinion. And I just want to, uh, you know, I want to also highlight something you said that I loved while we were watching live was they just let these characters come and go a little too much. And you found yeah. Ruby coming and going. You found McEnroe coming and going. You found Tori coming and going. We have no real concept of the sister. Yeah, oh my god, I forgot that was going to say. The sister, I'm not even sure what her name is. So, yeah. So, your final thoughts and your take on the show as a whole. A show that you never really would have watched if it weren't for me being like, hey, let's talk about some murders. Well, mostly I I just had never... I just hadn't heard of it, actually. If I had heard of it, I would have been interested. I I, I don't think I wouldn't have been. But, um, you know, I, yeah, I feel like a lot of the stuff with how many characters there were and all the things they were trying to do 
the ongoing arc in the background of the sister dating different guys to ultimately uh, pan out the way it did in the final moments of the finale. I, I feel like it was too much going on at times. And so as much as I really agree with a lot of Nico's grading uh, with, you know, overall A++ for the experiment, but like B-ish for it as a TV show, mostly because... I would worry about it getting a second season and doing the same thing at the end of the second season. And it's an overall issue I'm seeing with streaming shows and not to penalize this show exclusively for it, but since they did do it, uh, ending on a cliffhanger note like that when you don't know if you're getting another season, it kind of leaves a bitter taste in the audience's mouth because there is that fear. Are they going to get picked up? Was that really a satisfying conclusion for this series if it doesn't get picked up? Not really, and that'll affect whether or not I suggest it to other people in the future. I wouldn't not suggest this, but I'd be like, yeah, it didn't get picked up, so the ending is kind of rough, but overall it's really good, and you want to just be able to recommend something to someone. And I think that uh, a lot of shows like this, especially experimental things, need to be planning ahead for that. Uh, would it be the worst thing if it isn't picked up? No, there are definitely cliffhangers that are a lot bigger. But I think it does leave too many questions in the end. And I'd rather have been more satisfied. And from a show that leaves very few, uh, very few answers to a show that uh, answers every question to the point that almost takes the fun out of it. Uh, Crime Scene Kitchen. I have been following Joel McHale since he wasn't John Hansen. And uh, I appreciate him. I really appreciate the quality work of his hair plugs. And I appreciate the what can only be described as truly proficient level of usage of HGH. And, you know, beyond the fact that I think Joel McHale is actually a gorgeous man who refuses to age. And that's the playful joke I'm going for. The show involves letting a bunch of bakers, now this season is half professionals, half amateurs, uh, in teams of two, into a kitchen. Oh, I'm so sorry. Half classically trained, mm. half not, uh, which I only mention because a lot of these people- The amateurs are professionals, yeah. Cooking. A lot of the people who are not classically trained make their living cooking, but they are not, they did not go to culinary school. And they're very unhappy about this classification. That they make it known. And I think that's kind of fair. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in another thing we're going to discuss much more briefly. But uh, in in food truck, in the great food truck race, uh, Davids versus Goliaths, rookies versus pros. Some of those Davids are uh, pretty cocky uh, for being Davids. Yep. And, and, you know, and work, they work a lot. Uh, so anyway, uh, just these weird classifications that these shows have to do to market themselves sometimes get a little silly, but let's keep going. So they let these bakers into a kitchen shortly after a baking experiment has been completed and everything is there, but the baked good. And you have to use all of the things in the kitchen, garbage, uh, receipts, notes and purses on the floor set dressing Think like any 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 set dressing you might you have see to be looking on the counter for residue and like smelling things to make sure and i just want to stress that one of the things that's really cool is like they make 
they make legitimate shit on this. This isn't like, you know, and now make a sugar cookie. This is make a Basque cheesecake. This is stuff that like you hear about and it's amazing. One of the things that I want to point out is that in season one, in like episode one or two, somebody made it the qua. Like that was the that was the secret thing. And everybody so our favorite thing about this show is like the the peanut gallery. Everybody going, Wait, did you see that? Did you, I didn't think I didn't see that. that. Why would I they make that? that? I didn't why are they making green? And like why didn't you notice that? And they do this the whole episode, right? And so as soon as somebody was like, oh, I made a Dequa, everybody else was like, what's a duck walk? What's a duck walk? I don't, I don't, opulence. You bake everything, right? And so like, I really, man, the ASMR of that makes me mad. So, um, show. uh, describe reality shows very quietly. So, um, access for whispering. <laughs> So, uh, so everybody now, every episode goes, is it a Dequa? And like, I think that's so funny because people get so far from pronouncing it. People are like, is it a Dickwick? Right? Uh, no, yeah, you better walk that fucking duck. A comment from the incredible show contributor and uh, a brilliant academic, uh, Jake. Uh, always a big fan, right? Um, and so the thing that gets me about this show is many shows are about talent and many shows are about intellect. This show is the rare show to combine them both. And I'm just going to say, Joel McHale is just cocky enough to host something that requires both talent and intelligence. I maybe at times don't wish it was not him only because he is not a food person. Don't uh, wish and... it was not. Yeah. Him. Okay. And, you know, I I just want it to be, uh, like, I don't know, because I don't like any of the food people, so uh, that's why it's... Plus, he hosts I, everything. Like, what, what show don't you host? What I love about him is that he really <laughs> breaks the mold of the food show hosts. Uh, and, you know, he always brings the energy that he brought as a judge on Drag Race. <laughs> yeah! 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 You know, where Fireworks. he's poking fun at the show a little bit. Uh, you know, the the Confectiontron 3000, <laughs> which is not a thing. It's literally just, you know, a motorized set of panels that reveal the... Uh, and I, I really do like that. Um, it's just a robot cloche. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but not, I'm sure it's not even a robot. I'm sure somebody has to move it by hand. Um, so I, on the one hand, I'm like, I kind of want to see a real food professional being in the mix. But then when he really breaks the tension of some of the stupidity with his own, because here's the thing. My one big critique about this show, there's a great clip going around of Naomi Smalls uh, on from Drag Race on Delta Works uh, streaming show podcast, repeating the line that every Drag Race girl says at some point where they go, it's a new day in the workroom and I've got a fire under my ass. I'm not going home this week. And it's just such a cheesy line. Of course, it's a new day. It's a new episode. Of course, you want to stay. Nobody's resting on their laurels. Uh, ev like five times every 10 minutes, <laughs> they go, 
if this is what the what we were making, you will be safe. If this is the dish that you oh my god, I know. And we know <laughs> this is literally the point of the show. And it, I think it could be ten minutes shorter if we stopped repeating this line. So there's a yes. little bit of that that makes me want them to tool it a little bit because they could be doing things a little bit differently to maybe fill out or work it out. But the concept really is fantastic. And the fact that if you get the dish right, you could be saying when maybe otherwise you would not in a show that was just judging dishes, that's very fascinating because it is also about your observatory skills and your knowledge of uh, not just what a dish is, but the techniques and the ingredients. And, you know, it really is fascinating. I kind of monologued on that for a while. Well, I and did how too. Many it's a monologue show. And how many different aspects there are to the show where it's you have to go in and investigate and then you have to make the thing and it has to be the right thing and it has to be good. Like all of these separate levels of competition versus so many of these other uh, programs where it's really just straightforward you're just there's a build or there is a craft or there is a cooking concept and you make that and that's it but this requires so many extra uh, extra levels i also wanted to make sure to go out of my way and get plenty of screenshots of the reveal box whatever we want to call it the thing behind them where like this glowing plinth comes out and this thing like unfurls like the petals of a lotus like she say that this is where she gets her power source from as a princess of the, power the opulence of this item and the pageantry of it really also speaks to how overdone and overwrought um a lot of this show is uh jacob commented how would you fill the additional time saved from cutting repetition? And to be the first to answer on that, I think part of the problem is I don't know what they would fill it with. And I think that's part of why there's so much filler and why there's this device that takes like 30 seconds to unfold. Cause I don't know, I don't know that it would be a full episode. Otherwise it might reduce all the way down to a half hour show. Well, I have three things you could put in there. Number one, sure explain a basic way to make the thing okay like the atlantic boardwalk pie the basque cheesecake these are like things that people have heard of but they're like oh oh okay number two uh i think you should have joel McHale work out and the camera should focus on his feet um i think that would do wonders for uh ratings the world and, and number three um, because I imagine feet people love Joel McHale. There's a certain vinegar personality type that Joel McHale has, you know what I mean? Have we um, ever really seen his feet? I don't Why know. Why are we talking about this? I feel like this is a market. Uh but number That's three just for feet. <laughs> but number three, the other thing I think this show could benefit from is some light sketches. Uh, everybody on this show actually does seem to have a personality in as far as I would watch them be terrible at acting. I would watch these couples be like, but wait, what did you think it was? I am Clusto. Is that what you're saying? That detective's name is Clusto. I will be Philip Marlowe, right? I, I feel like they could do cute little bits the way 
Um, the way a drag race does cute little bits, I guess, because part of this show is selling the personality, which is why Jake's joke of hosted by Joel McHale and his little piggy toes. Yeah, this is that show. It might be kind of a classy show about cooking, but it's, still, it's also it's, not. It's look at that picture of Joel McHale grinning ear to ear. Curtis Stone is, I mean this with love, but he's well past his media prime. He's still a terrific chef and he's still, you know, a viable candidate for judging as he is an excellent host. But he's got to be pushing 45, if not 50. He's been around since I'm a teen and I'm old. Um, I think Yolanda Gamp adds a lot of credibility to the show that would otherwise really seek Instagram credibility. It does not even have TikTok credibility. But Yolanda gives it Instagram credibility, which I think goes a really long way to building up the show as more than just an opportunity for Joel McHale to model the latest Abercrombie and Fitch at 50. I think so. I love a match. I love the first challenge. I love the the first challenge. They try and guess the ingredient and whoever gets closest or guesses it uh, gets immunity from the next challenge. The next challenge is the same thing in so far as they're guessing again and it's both quality and if you get it right. Uh, that makes you the winner and then whoever is furthest away the loser i think i would change up the second challenge uh okay i think i would make it more about uh technique uh i think i would frame the judging differently and i think i would maybe figure out some way uh that to take out the if you guessed right uh, so that just there alone, they stop saying it so much. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, on the one hand, I, I am joking about that, but on the other, like it, it's guys, it's a lot. You need to be prepared to hear this so many times. So though, many. It might be. <laughs> as though you've it never could heard be. it before. Uh, also my darling partner mentions that for what it's worth, Joel McHale is 50 with 51, which is insane. Uh, yeah, he, he is living his Jeff Winger oh, fantasy. I, I just sent Kevo a photo to hopefully put. Uh, I was asking if you want it on air or if oh. you were just sending me porn privately. During oh, no. I mean, like as a guy who didn't get into shape until I was literally in my like late 20s. Uh, and evidently the number of guys that are like super sexually obsessed with Joel McHale, you have to be really careful not to accidentally pick Ooh. a muscle morph um, because he is that face. He's got that smarm to him. This is this year. This guy is like actually living, you know, I'm making jokes about, you know, his hairline or he's so young and fit, but like, no, I mean, he really does treat his body beautifully he and he keeps takes, it tight. He really does. And so yeah. I can make as many jokes as I want, but yeah. like I haven't hosted card sharks, which is in my top five game shows of all time and made me cry. He already made out. all of the jokes as Jeff winger. Like the whole reason yeah. he could be Jeff winger is because Joel McHale was already a little bit Jeff winger, uh, in the best possible way. So, you know, we, we joke because we love and we can say it because we can see it. Um, but yeah, this is just a really silly show uh, in the milieu of food shows where you have shows like Top Chef and 
so many shows where people's pride is on the line in terms yeah. of my artistry is so yeah. damn good my Don't livelihood question it my my artistry my livelihood the the education that i paid so much for and this show never discounts any of those things but it does say if you miss some bad clues all of that artistry doesn't really matter and yeah. it also doesn't mean that you are still not that good an artist you just missed the clues and that breaks a lot of the tension of that food show paradigm of like you just didn't measure up you get so much less of that in a way that's really refreshing you know no on one's that... ever treated like an idiot for missing a clue yeah it's almost like what if you watched um american idol or something and they said this week's challenge is we're looking for an artist who has and then they detail an artist and you're thinking to yourself well it's a diva so i guess it's a strong woman or maybe it's elton john or maybe it's adam lambert and then you're like it's they described it as somebody with a powerful vocal range well is that a big vocal range or a strong vocal capacity because like i would never say diana ross has a strong voice but she has a very high range so like it's almost like they say to them figure out how you're going to perform for us nobody's ever saying you're a bad singer because you sang the wrong artist. And it's sort of like that. It's just yep. kind of like these are all brilliant singers. But sometimes Celine Dion does a cover of River Deep Mountain High. And sometimes she does a cover of All By Myself. And frankly, the cover of River Deep Mountain High makes the cover of All By Myself look amateurish. <laughs> and that's just what this is. Maybe the thing you're so good at is making a key lime pie. But this week's challenge is, you know, jelly donuts. And your worst thing is a jelly donut. How can yeah. you make a jelly donut so good that you can maybe get by against other people who made the wrong thing? Because that's the other magic of this show. If you've made the wrong fucking thing, you have to have made it so good and not be the only other person that wrong. Because if the item was a jelly donut and you made a chocolate cupcake and somebody else made a black forest cake and somebody else made an eclair and so three of you have made something so wrong, it really comes down to what are they saying is the best thing ever. Uh, last season, my first episode pick for win won. I was thrilled. This season, my first pick for win is doing pretty well. Um, pretty happy. He really thrilled. I, uh, Kevo, if you would go to the board for a moment with yeah. the teams, my two picks for favorite team are the uh, black mother and daughter, who are I believe second row first people. Yeah, uh, no. Oh, no, yeah, Christian Tarsha. Yeah, they are my on. choice for win. Uh, they are my personal pick to win since episode one. Um. But my secondary choice are the delicious faggots who are so gorgeous. They might as well be from a Sean Cody video, not I a cooking the show. The one I on the can. left is like, like there's model beautiful. And then there's people that if you saw in person, you'd be like, wow, you are literally confusing to look at. He's confusing to look at. And uh, yeah. they're my number two, just because the guy on the left is so beautiful. It doesn't even make sense. Oh, Okay. Robbie, uh, Robbie, with the uh, best comic opinions, 
uh, I love Robbie so much. He's a longtime contributor to the show, longtime fan as well. Robbie is saying this is his first time hearing of the show. Robbie, I can't recommend it enough. I hate a lot those of faggots. You hate them? I really do. You hate, hate everyone. I do hate everyone. You don't they're, like anything fun. Go home. They're at the top of the list. Uh, <laughs> I'm sick of their shit. I like the other two faggots. Oh, um, I love T and Patty. Yeah. I, it took me a minute. I was like, why are they calling him fat? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's Joe McHale. Of course he's calling him fatty. But, right. But also, like, in that's... quotations. What's that? They only yeah. put T in T quotations. In I know. Um, but, and, you know, also, like, it's, it is how he pronounces his own name. It's fatty. It's not foddy. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, that was just a moment where I was like, it took me took me a second to realize what was going yeah, on there. The They're great. here, too. They are a Lovely. staggering mess. They will not be winning this competition. <laughs> but I adore them. Uh, just like so it's not like pure internalized homophobia. They also um, evidently make a really good custard. Um, Curtis Stone said they made the literal best custard he's ever had. Fully believe it. The mother and daughter guessing this week's... Uh, was just such a brilliant moment uh it's and 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 because it was not something they had experience with it was like mom was like i know this exists uh <laughs> and it's just it's a cool show it's a cool the fact that you can be like i know this thing exists and i see from the clues that it would be this thing uh now it's time to make it uh and i think the thing that they made was not great but it was correct. Uh, so that put them in a place that a couple people who made fantastic dishes that were not the correct dish were not in. Uh, and that's just interesting. And it it makes for a solid change. It makes for a real solid change from the last cooking show we all watched together, which was Next Level Chef, where really these people are just like, Gordon Ramsay didn't love me. I might as well go die. <laughs> I might as well go die in a corner like a cat. Like it is. It's dark. So, all right. I give this season an A. I give this show's concept an A. I give last season an A. Uh, is it food trucks? Is it Project Runway? No. But is it fucking great? Yes, it is walking into your favorite casino and seeing they got the uh, great new tables. You know what I mean? It is that level of fun, refreshing idea on something you already like that you were already coming here for anyway. Right. I wouldn't search it out if I didn't already like cooking shows. If I was a forensics person, I probably wouldn't give a shit. Um, I don't think it's got that allure, but A's A's across the board. And it's the most I've ever liked Joel McHale ever. And so, yeah. I think part of why I wouldn't rate it as high as something like food trucks is because of the frantic and frenetic nature of the structure of the show and the Great way point. it works. It's really hard to uh, super identify with any of the teams in a significant way, the way that you can on food truck, you know, they're out, they're doing so much more, even on worst cooks. When we watch that, you know, there's so much more of an arc to them. Uh, but because of how many contestants there are, the way that we have to cut, how much is going on, it's really hard to get to attach to any of the teams on a show like this. Not that you don't get attached at all and that you can't be happy when, you know, a team you like wins. But uh, that's part of why it's harder for me to over-emotionally identify with a show like this. But um, 
I find the gameplay and competition really fun and exciting. And so for that, I really overall give it the same grade. Pretty positive. It's got that fairness you like. That you yeah. are a fair gameplay person. It's got that thing that you like. Now, TK, you are a you're a cutthroat bitch. Not really. You're a fairness person too, but you also have like a streak. I'm a hard it's grader. Like, yeah. Uh, this is uh, if I'm being generous, it's a B plus. Otherwise, it's a B. Uh, if for me, the big problem really is the format needs some tweaking. Uh, that they made not a single change that I can really detect from the first season uh, makes me raise an eyebrow a little bit. I hope if they continue, they they do play around a little bit and figure out some way to stop repeating the phrase. Now, if you guessed correctly, you won't be going <laughs> home. Uh, but really cool, really refreshing uh i still it's still jeff winger for me so this is not the most i've ever liked joel McHale, but it is a ton of fun it's jeff winger and then joel McHale drag race judge so this is you know third but it's a high third. Yeah! Uh, yeah! uh and that is like the lowest his balls have ever dropped yeah like to because, hit that pitch of yeah i don't know how and, he does it because, i can't do that anymore at my age and because michelle visage was looking at him like both a snack and a person she wanted to smack in the face um, but yeah, this is I a just good the show. accurate way to look at him. Well, well, worth your time, uh, and it's fun. One of the and things I think most, one of the things I find most interesting about Joel McHale as a host is I really feel like he reminds me a lot of Will Arnett as a host on our yeah. other beloved show, Lego Masters. Yeah. And, and um, another one where I'm like, I'm confused why it's Will Arnett. Yeah, and that's why I was Lego thinking Batman. to bring it up. He's Lego Batman, yeah. and Lego Batman is the most money-making Lego project of all Which time. Which is a little better of a qualification than Joel McHale just being on Crime Scene Kitchen. Yeah, but like, Joel McHale just eats donuts and also figures things yeah. out through the course of his day is not enough reason to put him on Crime Scene Kitchen. Yeah. No. His abs are. Can you just yes. go to that muscle, po that muscle photo of him one more time? <laughs> yeah, you got it. I'll see if I can find more pictures for next time we talk about the show. You know, the thing I really want to just stress about Crime Scene Kitchen that makes it unique is there's a lot of shows that focus on the food art, the uh, the intelligence aspect. But what makes this show one of a kind is that it tries to bring both together. You don't have to be the greatest baker. You just have to be intelligent. You don't have to be the smartest. You just need to be a great baker. There's so few shows that have room for multiple kinds of people to thrive and succeed. I think that that is definitely a reason to focus on a show like this over a show like maybe uh you know uh top chef which i still love and still think it deserves an emmy and i'm gonna miss padma with all my life uh, you know padma padma it's the biggest hit of the year but so yeah uh you know from crime scene kitchen to uh another sort of a major thing in our world this last couple of months uh you know I really do love how far we've come on a number of these uh, major sort of blowouts in, uh, I'm sure if I'm able to put it, like the way games are presenting themselves these days is becoming so surreal. The way these Nintendo Directs are changing media that they are responding in SDCC. SDCC will have no Marvel, no Sony, no Paramount. So many companies are skipping things 
like SDCC because there's so much more money in doing a DC fandom, in doing a D23, in presenting your own media. And, you know, TK, there's a pretty big Nintendo Direct this week for us. Yeah, uh, well, was it big? Uh, I, I got know, Elephant Mario. I was going to say, I'm going to throw it up for you. It was big. You're a big Mario guy. Uh, I was pretty excited because we got new Zelda Amiibo, but we did not get the DLC announcement yet, which means I still have something to look forward to. Uh, we also got a new splatoon splatfest which you know i live for a splatfest we're going to be uh broadcasting the next one while Deco and i live play and if anybody would like to join uh we'd love a team of four uh a nintendo direct is really an interesting barometer for where the company is at and sort of what temperature you're going to take and this one there were no really big event things happening i think we are really waiting to see if they have one more big thing in them you know if whether it be uh I don't know, like another xenoblade game or uh, Star Fox, maybe or if we're kind of starting to run out the clock on the original switch when we're going to see the switch too um but what the directs always remind us is that there's no limit to the number of indie games that can come out for this thing you know it's been made very easy to develop for the amount of uh sort of smaller scale content that can come up for it and you know Super Mario RPG Remake and Super Mario Wonder are not enormous. Um, he is. But this Elephant huh. Boy is. Um, they're not going to be the properties that absolutely change the game for Nintendo. But after, for one thing, it's been six years since Super Mario Odyssey, yeah. which is a lie and is insane because it's been two weeks. But there's um, some setting the device that launched the Odyssey. So I, I really, everything you're saying is like fiscally true. Yeah. So, you know, heading after Odyssey, which was a fantastic kind of as close as you can get to open world for a Mario game, uh, gorgeous graphics, gameplay, music, Jump Up Superstar, the first time they've really tried to do any kind of single. We brought Pauline into the mix. Uh, okay, but it was no simple and clean, okay? No, nor was it like even like the kind of throwaway tracks on the Splatoon soundtrack that never get highlighted, but whatever. Um, but huge game, kind of one of the big litmus tests for what the Switch was going to be. And so by comparison, a 2D, a, you know, 3D graphic, 2D in terms of level design, platformer, is not so hype, but I think it's a good sign that Nintendo is not done with this thing yet. I think you know, what is happening with the hardware is really where we're all kind of wondering. And, you know, Nico, I'm curious both what you think about this Mario game and if there's anything else you saw that got you at all hyped. I mean, this isn't at all in the same vein as Odyssey. This is more in line with the Super Mario Wii. A new Super Mario franchise, I think, yeah. visually. Um, these sell 15 times, literally, 
what an Odyssey sells. Um, they are my preferred game style. I, I think Super Mario Galaxy is the finest game maybe ever made, ever, like ever. But uh, New Super Mario Brothers Wii is incredibly high for me, and I know that puts me in the minority. But um, I think this really fits in that uh, 2,000 hours of my life I lost to uh, the one that just got ported over to the Switch four years ago when I say just got ported over. <laughs> so it's like an eight-year-old game now. Um, I also think Pikmin 1 and 2 getting ported over speaks really great uh, volumes about the potentiality of porting over other classics. I think they're going to continue to keep the Switch going forever on porting old games. I actually think that the Switch is going to continue to get old games two years into the new system. Because one of the dangers that this new system faces is Nintendo can't really advance the hardware as much as they want to. Because as it is, they take like an $80 loss on every Switch. So, you know, Nintendo's never made a dollar on the Switch. They've just lost money on the device. They make their money on the games. It's the, so, it's the razor blade thing. Yeah. You know. Um it'll be really interesting to see the i've always wondered if nintendo would ever just shut down and become an entirely a game developer and an ip developer i think also the uh advent of the super mario bros movie means that we're in kind of a different realm when it comes to the choices that nintendo is going to be making uh, I don't know whether the deal has closed or not on the Zelda movie. I'm very nervous about that, but I expect it will do comparatively, you know, as the Zelda games are do not sell like the Mario games do, but they're still quite popular. Uh, and, you know, Tears of the Kingdom has been so present online, the source of so many memes, of so much content. Such I, sales, like Zelda's never known. Like Zelda's never known, and it was $10 more expensive than the previously most expensive game that Nintendo had ever sold. And has uh, since come down officially yes, as of Monday. Which, you know, screw you, I would have just waited. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's a... I would be really happy to see them get out of the hardware game uh, because I love the stories and, you know, to be able to get faster turnaround on a Zelda game because it was coming out for PC and Xbox or something would be uh, preferable to me at this point. Well, speaking of Zelda, before we cut to commercial, yeah. I believe you finished Tears of the Kingdom. 300 hours in which is like I, somewhere between 30 and 60 less than my partner who finished it the, the day before me uh beat the game one of the most gorgeous games in the history of video gaming as a whole absolutely a top tier zelda game um i've been listening to the music from the final gameplay sequence on repeat for days now and just kind of sobbing uncontrollably because it mixes the uh, Tears of the Kingdom theme with Zelda's lullaby with the Hyrule theme and it's just beautiful in a way that is beyond description. Uh, I could easily have put another 300 into this but I did want to move on with my life and uh, I really can't recommend this enough. It is uh, bonkers to me 
how much Breath of the Wild and um, Tears of the Kingdom have just entirely turned the page on what was still an incredible franchise. You know, I did not think when Breath of the Wild came out. Um, Robbie asks, what are y'all's predictions for possible game of the year? I do think it's this. I do think it's Tears of the Kingdom. It's this or Diablo 4, just based on sales, fact of that they're taking care of the industry alone. Yep. So, you know, uh, I know, Kebo, you don't have as many final thoughts on Zelda. But before uh, TK wraps his thoughts on uh, on the big ZL, which is Zelda End Link, not like I can't spell Zelda. Uh, Kevo, did you have any thoughts having covered Zelda on our show? Um, I'm definitely excited about that movie news. I really hope something comes of it. I still need to make that clip of us talking about, you know, the uh, you explaining to me just basically the engine of the franchise and who the bad guy is. It's really such a fascinating concept. And we've been talking a lot about uh, cultural perception of popular and famous things and i feel like there's so much of zelda that isn't uh penetrated the uh popular vernacular and i think there's so much uh for people to learn and get excited about for this franchise uh, i see robbie has said that his vote goes to final fantasy 16 for game of the year and that will be my vote as well i just you know I think that very well might be one of the best games this year and possibly one that would deserve it. And can uh, melt your hard drive. Based on the hype, I think it will not be up for it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't deserve it. The video game awards are notoriously transparently based on things that are not, you know, quality and merit, uh, which is true of like the Grammys and the Oscars. There's so much, there's so much politics behind it. You just kind of see it a lot laid a lot more bare with the video game awards and uh it's just it feels a lot more industry fingers in the mix when you're watching them it feels like a lot of it is for advertisement purposes so i think final fantasy really might be one of the true greats uh but i don't know that it will get recognized for it well I am so excited to see where that's all going to go. Uh, and when we come back, we have a few more highlights, a couple more shows that we cover, some more media that we're looking at, uh, a whole lot more uh, as I am live broadcasting from daytime in Asbury Park uh, is what it looks like. But, you know, clearly. I mean, where am I? <laughs> I'm in Christmasina's backyard. Oh, you, oh, you bitch. bitch. I want to. That just sounds like his butt, his beautiful butt. Um, anyway, uh, when we come back, we're going to be taking a look at some of our staples and classics like Great Food Truck Road Race. We're going to be taking a look at Drag Race, Pruns, uh, which is Project Runway, of course. The upcoming schedule, some of the amazing things we're going to be talking about. So you definitely want to stick around. Don't forget to like, subscribe, check out the OnlyFans, uh, whatever it is you need to do to get you through the break. Oof, oof, yeah. But Dark until then, and, oh, I'm, the microphone's blocking my mouth, right? But until then, uh, check out these commercials, like, subscribe, and uh, stay awesome.
Ah, so good to be back here to talk about some of the more amazing programs, or some more of the amazing programs that we watched this week. Uh, I love this Sunday media wrap up. uh, And now that it's incorporating some not just TV, but some cool things like the Nintendo Direct we just talked about, I'm so excited. Uh, But one thing that had me like balls to the wall excited, uh, just really over the moon, is the premiere of Great Food Truck Road Race. Um, Number one, when he wants to, Tyler Florence is King Daddy. Beautiful man. That belly is everything to me. Uh, dude is a king. And uh, as an educator or a former educator, I guess still an educator in some ways, I am really um, impressed by people who know how to be critical but also teach. And that is something he balances really well. Uh, the overall premise of the show is compete on this reality show win money or a food truck depending on the season sometimes both uh this season is four professional food trucks facing off against five brand new up-and-comers who have food history but are new to food trucks um my main complaint about this season because so far really fun season the first episode was great um I'm furious that there's no actual road race to this season, and it's all in L.A. Those are some of my least favorite seasons. But, um, man, they made this first episode bonkers. I mean, I did not see week one going exactly how it went. I thought they were setting up major competitors for the season with the block, but went home right away. Dang. I and Paisani's as hot as we wanted them to be. Oh, God. I listen. Oh, yeah. There's that. I. I hate them more than I hate the gays from Food Truck Kitchen, only because I think they would hate crime, the gays from Food Truck Kitchen, or from uh, Crime Scene Kitchen. And uh, I, I, I'm not okay with that. I don't well, like when there was days. the when there was the car accident. They were immediately like, "Are you okay? Jeez, look at you yeah. okay, buddy. That's what it matters." Yeah, you know. But I definitely feel like if a person wearing a rainbow bracelet looked at them sideways, some Jamie Fox action. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like. I was I, I remember having this moment of being like, am I being like insanely reverse racist because I'm just so charmed by every truck that is run by a person of color, uh, their personalities, the block especially were hamming it up so hard for camera, and yet I found it so charming and I loved them so much where uh, by comparison, Paisani was doing it less and it was annoying me more. And I just hate them so much. <laughs> but she, I, it's also because they're Boston-based, and you're I, right from there. Yeah, I well, think because Garf- of the, but because part of the block's bit was specifically just being antagonistic about Paisani, that weirdly made me root for Paisani more. I get it. I and get it. I I didn't want to, but everything they were antagonistic about what paisani did even stuff that's just you know normal gameplay and so then when they were the ones to hit paisani's truck and paisani was nice about it you end up feeling even more like well who am i supposed to root for 
ultimately, uh, another group that hammed it up so hard for camera but i just love them so much and it is unfortunate that these networks do not cross over in such a way that you could ever do this four hens uh making food for like the drag race crew would be the crossover of a century uh this queer couple and their friend who the uh primary uh, business owner knows from the ballroom scene and I want to say like Kansas or Kentucky oh my god and then they just did full on fucking ballroom they're just voguing you know uh, shablamming out in front of the truck they're so cute and charming and you know this is Great Food Truck Road Race is definitely one of those shows where if you are like a queer person whose show is drag race you're maybe like this one's not for me I don't think Great Food Truck Road Race is for me and to put a crew like this on who are so in it and have such chemistry and personality and come from a scene that is so not the standard food scene let alone food truck scene great get for the show very smart casting it really is unfortunate that uh, they're kind of siloed with their the network that they're on and probably will not be crossing over with anything else because they really could and it would be a great crossover moment i am so rooting for them but i'm also rooting for to bald guy i even like even uh, i'm not i don't i don't hate all white people i really like uh lisa's crepery yeah I They're love great. the big pink truck. They they did it right. I mean, it's a big pink truck. It makes you think girl, which is what they want you to think because it's a crepery. Like, yeah. and they they played the game right. They really and did. they are strong women, but mm-hmm. like not trying to feminine. Just very yeah. like it's a it's a pink girly truck, but there is no like oh we're just girls. What they've got a lot of confidence. They know and they uh, have a huge business, a, a storefront and two trucks. Like. These are competitors. They're people to take really seriously. Um, and, you know, really everybody is, ultimately, including Paisani. Uh, I'm being a complete and total asshole about them. Uh, but uh, they, you know, they made a really solid batch of dishes. And I'll admit that that middle one is just a fucking stunner. The thickness on him is once in a generation and i actually think the guy on the right's got a lot of charm to his smile yeah, too yeah even the he's the on one the i think that would seeing... hit me the least hard as they were beating the shit out of me for being a faggot even the guy on the left seeing him live if he cleaned himself up a little bit more like so many people would be so much more attractive if they he's just... still recovering from being a teacher <laughs> yeah yes. that's true. now kevo this is your 16th season of great food truck road race uh, we have seen every season. We've seen many trucks of incredible drag queens. Um, yeah, that was the loved- thing I was thinking, where, like, this is actually one of the least queer seasons in some ways, where there are yeah. no actual yeah. drag queens. Uh, so, like, Shocking. I can see where people who would be a fan of something like Drag Race might not know that this is something that is generally so queer-friendly and positive. But it really is, which is why I really agree that it has a huge crossover potential uh you know drag race drag trucks uh this is a better drag me to dinner than drag me to dinner yeah i agree uh, and and we could flip all the way back to that 
uh, but you know, that would be a lot, but yeah, like that is such the observation. This points exactly to how you could do something because ultimately like as serious as this is the food production is limited in a way that when you're in a top chef kitchen or a next level chef kitchen and it's like literally any fish you've ever heard of might show up plus any cut of beef you've ever heard of any vegetable like this is very much everybody is in a limited zone in a way that it feels a little more accessible. Uh, you know, the, the whole thing of this is Davids and Goliaths, which is like food truck professionals versus people who are maybe don't have as much food truck experience. But um, I think you could even go into like really solid amateur stuff with something like a group of drag queens totally. and still yeah. have a banging show where, you know, everybody got to ham it up for the camera uh, and still, you know, make some food and make a scene. And I, I just, I'm floored by that observation because it does really point to what I felt was missing from Drag Me to Dinner to make it a thing. Competition of any kind. Yeah, theme yeah. and organization, really. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, do you know what looking at a bunch of really lovely, well-uniformed people and color-coordinated by job uh, positioning makes Everything. me think of? Everything doesn't need a transition. Everything needs a transition. It makes me think of Star Trek. And, uh, you know, Kevo, we had our second episode of Strange New Worlds this week. I mean, all three of us did. It's, you know, everybody has it. But, um, Kevo, you, uh, you specifically wanted to just sort of drop in how much you uh, are glad that Star Trek's back. Yeah, that's my uh, my highlight for this round of highlights. I haven't updated the board or anything since we uh, covered the premiere. But just in general, I want to highlight again how much we are enjoying the program. Uh, This week's episode in particular was really strong, really powerful, getting a lot of really great responses, which is really cool. Uh, You know, I don't know that people responded as strongly to the premiere, but it's that thing I keep saying where, if anything, that is sort of true to science fiction, where these nerds just love to do a weird episode for the premiere instead of actually picking up on dangling plot threads. God damn you, nerds. Uh, but I love you, and I love this. And uh, looking forward to covering more. Uh, looking forward to whenever we get to see Paul Wesley premiere as more Captain Kirk, because uh, he looks good. And uh, he looks yeah, I want more. slimmer than my mental projection of him. I think because he's got so many David Boreanaz-esque features, I project Ooh. that thickness that David has gained over the years onto him. But like when I go back and look at early bones, even David's not the, the, you know, buff bitch he is now. And I think when I think of Paul Wesleyan, I think of like the very broad man that he is from images of vampire diaries, where they wanted him to be that very big wide guy. He but looks then you look little, at him on the side. Yeah, yeah. He's a little narrow here in a way that I actually think makes me more chill with he's Kirk. Kirk isn't huge. Kirk isn't buff. And this idea that I would have to have Dwayne the Rock Johnson as Kirk would be a little too much for me. So having this guy really charming, easy to digest. Teak, were you as taken with episode two as the rest of us? 
No, and not for any other reason than I'm still finding my footing with this show. And I think really I'm still finding my footing with where Star Trek is at. Um, I think I'm still getting used to the idea that this is just always going to be a, a universe that comes at its stories from multiple temporal angles and directions. And I the premiere hit so well for me because I really saw what you guys were talking about with the quality of the show and the characters. And then episode two, it was really like, okay, I've actually got to figure out how to be a fan of this show and you know who I love. Yeah, I get that. I got, I got background work to do because I am coming at this from both ends. I'm, I, I will watch the new stuff as it comes out, but I'm watching the first season uh, yeah. as, as I have time. Uh, which I'm actually I'm I'm cool with, um, in part because like there's a part of me that's like we already know how this ends. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Kirk's that's a really show interesting. Up and take over. That's a really interesting take on the other end of the thing that I was talking about, where I felt like the premiere was wacky and this was hard hitting. But yeah. like when you're trying to draw in new viewers, for you, someone who isn't as versed in Strange New Worlds and who isn't as attached to the characters yet. This is so focused on the characters and their arcs and so focused on uh, so much about Una's backstory that if you're not as into the show yet, then it's not going to hit you as hard. And that's why you need something like the premiere where it's a lot more getting to see the different characters, yeah. the different actions and, and getting to see action. So that is I, something I had not considered about the juxtaposition. So I really love you bringing that to the table. Thank you. Yeah, totally. And don't get me wrong. I still really liked it. I I have no regrets about that I'm getting into this show uh, and no reservations about where it's going. I think my only thing that I was like uh, uh, is the stuff with uh, the doctor and the nurse was so intense last episode that I was just sort of like Where is it? Now what? Now it's just a Thursday? Uh, Evidently they wrote in all that fighting because the actor who plays Mbunga is one of the greatest kickboxers in the world. And Poor Nurse Chapel isn't. <laughs> they just felt that uh, Mbunga just being able to like bust out ninja would be like crazy. So they wrote in how it's possible. Which is so funny because he's the one that's tweaking the circuits while she has to buy him. To... <laughs> anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. It really... Star Trek should sometimes figure out how to be that fun. Uh, and that is something that I think really was missing from most of Next Gen, a lot of Deep Space Nine and a lot of Voyager, although it got better and better. Uh, Enterprise almost went too far in the other direction. And now we're finding this nice balance. It's okay that there are action sequences and fighting in this world where like, exploration and science and you know the universal basic income should always be the highest uh goal i i'm i'm cool with the fact that sometimes we see kung fu drugs get dilated into your eyes uh it's just like i really was so taken by that moment where she's got her arms around him and they're just about to go to their own death um that like to just have it be thursday in the next episode was a little bit like I wasn't ready for that, but, um, you know, who could ever be sick of Rebecca Romaine? Well, I thought that it was just going to be business as usual, but 
from one show that had an incredibly fulfilling episode to a show that had an unfulfilling episode. <sighs> Drag Race All-Stars oh, Season God. 8. Man, oh man. I'm glad we're not, you know, I'm glad we've come up with this highlights, spotlights thing. I am so mad at Alexis Michelle. Look, I'm not gunning for Candy Muse. I'm not. Candy Muse is great, you know. And she's great. She talks like this. And, like, I'm really happy for her. She sounds like one of the big heads from Rocco's Modern Life. Great. But, like, my issue has nothing to do with Candy Muse and everything to do with Lala Ree was having her renaissance and being, like, the queen she was always meant to be. And Alexis Michelle with that ridiculous Kelsey Grammer hair nonsense was like, listen, girl, I'm never going to send you home. I am grateful to you, and I will never forget this for the rest of my life. Look, nobody gets to look that emotional holding a lipstick if it doesn't say De La. No honor. She has no honor. That's what it is. And and I, when she sold out Heidi and said that Heidi did not say, uh, that Candy didn't say the thing that I feel like she has now gone online and said that Candy did say that. And she said that Candy didn't say it because she was scared of Candy. So one, she lies to not, you know, be confronted by Candy, uh, no honor. Two, she then does this kind of insinuation that the, you know, queen of color is going to come for her in, like, in a violent way. Like, she she could be in danger. Uh, these already are not stacking up. There was a third offense that I was just about to get into. Um, but I'm just... This, this takes me all the way back to when she yelled at the queens for not telling her to fix her own look. Uh, yeah. Any of you warned me that I look a mess. Girl, it's not our job to help you win. You're if anything, just, we want you to look bad. She's just a person that the disconnect from what is fair and right and reasonable goes beyond that place of valentina no matter how bad it gets will ultimately always say something where she says i know i'm crazy or you know she's kind of winking at the camera um yeah she's loving sorry the moment <laughs> she's loving the moment she's loving the drama uh alexis wants you to take her seriously if you never called her out on any of those things and you treated them all as though they were legitimate she would never go you know do the line about this coconut fantasy this fantasy that i'm living in my coconut head uh that valentina did she really thinks that all of this is totally reasonable and she's going to play it like it is oh the third thing was crying when candy took the role from her um it just it's so disappointing to see her behave this way because I do think she's a really strong competitor. Uh her her artistry is fantastic. Ultimately when you get to five girls <laughs> What? <laughs> oh, Kevo. You are Thank so, you. You're such a beautiful genius. Thank um, you. Ultimately when we get to five girls Somebody will probably have to go home that could have been in the top four 
or three, or maybe could have even won the show. And that is simply how it goes. Candy had no more of a right to be there than Lala. If I would, I'm stoked to see Candy in the top four. If she had not been in the bottom, I would have been happy that she was on the next episode and fine. She was in the bottom. I think she was the worst performer. And Alexis said she would not send Lala, Lala Ree home. home. Yeah. And then she did it, which is just gross. gross. And you can say all you want that Lala did worse than Candy, that Candy deserved to be there. That's totally fine. But then never say to somebody, I will save you. Uh, I It just, what an ugly moment. And it's a real reminder that, like, for all that this is reality TV and, you know, drama is created and we should let it go. Sometimes that goes into a place of ugliness that just is unfortunate for everybody because it's still professionalism and integrity does matter. Because no and one made her say she wasn't precisely. going to send Lala home. No one makes you say these things. And it's why, you know, as we're catching up and I'm seeing different girls have different reactions to the system of all stars and different girls have different reactions to the agreements they've made about what they decide is fair play and yep. other people going against that. And a lot of people judging those girls for having a reaction to what they agree. But like, as much as this is not RuPaul's best friends race, okay, but then there's no trust. And yeah. this nobody hears Gordon Gecko. Like, yeah, and this this will mean something outside of, you know, it's part of why I don't like playing board games with people. Because how you behave during this, I'm going to remember how you spoke to me as a person over a piece of cardboard and some pieces of plastic. It doesn't matter that much, and this is such higher stakes, but at the same time, you all know what kind of game this is, and you all know that at the end of the day, you're all still going to be under contract of World of Wonder, and you all have to see each other at RuPaul's DragCon or something. So how you treat each other is going to matter. And people like to act like it doesn't, but it, it does. And it's in that regard that there's some stuff in Project Runway All-Stars, Project Runway Season 20, which is All-Stars Season 8. Same thing as All-Stars Drag Race Season 8, right? Kind of cool that it's both Season 8s and both Season 7s were All-Stars of All-Stars. So exciting. Oh, I just didn't get to say Love real math. quick. Uh, on Project Runway, on, Project Runway, on uh, Drag Race All-Stars, uh, Jimbo gets the whole season for the face Keeney. That was the greatest riff on anything I've ever seen. What a takedown. A stupid moment in Drag Race history. It was almost like saying to RuPaul. You don't want to give this the win. Then say it was stupid when you did it. I mean it, it has been completely Jimbo season to lose. I think we all see where we're going. Uh, it will be just one of those stupid Drag Race face cracks. If she doesn't win. Um. I think she really won this challenge and ultimately we had to justify why Alexis needed to be in the top four because Alexis didn't lose this challenge. So she didn't go home. She would have gone into the top four without a win. So oh, Alexis well. gets this win that she doesn't deserve where Jimbo doesn't get a fourth win, fifth win. She was uh, shiniest that... head. I guess that's why she had to send Lala home. She didn't like the competition. Uh, and yeah, these are all just, it's, it's unfortunate when we get to these things with drag race because their production team 
really plays themselves into these corners that the fans all see. And ultimately, uh, they don't have to care because we are just going to keep watching because we love these girls and we love this art form. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Lala really did deserve to be there. And it was her season to runner up. It really yeah. was her season to be I wish up. RuPaul had a, a RuPaul save. Um, yeah. And, you know, and maybe, Ooh. and maybe, you know, uh, I, I'm sending you home because Alexis just, just should have gone home. She hadn't won anything. And it, I like her a lot. It's not like she should go home because she's trash. I'm uh, playing the reverse card and yeah. I am redirecting your elimination back at yourself. And Lala restays because she is a queen. I just, I, I feel bad because I'm mad at Alexis Michelle, but this was also Lala Reese season. And, and Rue, we know you're listening, so Rue-versal card, please feel free to steal that from us. It. We just we, want to see it. We we tried to file the patent. It didn't work out, so you can have it. Uh, okay. Please use it. Project Runway. Project Runway. Um, I just want to give it up to a number of these competitors for being such adults. You know, something that's really interesting is Victor Luna was like, on my season, like, again, like one of those things is like, there's so few people on Project Runway that are truly sacred and you can't say a bad word about. You can't say a bad word about Kato without people getting really mad at you on the internet, right? Yeah. Um, so I think Victor Luna, who, again, most beautifully improved in terms of like went from handsome to like daddy um, for me, because uh, Rami was always a stunner. Um Victor, just your personality this season has been really amazing. Like, I never thought you were a bad guy, but you even acknowledged that in your all-stars, you left a really bad taste in my mouth with how cutting you were of other phenomenal competitors. And you were mean, and you acknowledged that here, and were grateful to people showing you forgiveness, and that made you my hero this episode. Victor Luna, most improved. Um... But how is Kane twice in a row? Oh my god! Somewhere out there, Laura is going. I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it. I don't. Which is a, a really great season three joke because she really didn't get Kane, and people would be like, "Why do you think Kane's good?" She would be like, "I don't get it." Why do you think Kane's good? I don't. <laughs> pretty much so guys what did you think about episode two but like week three kind of yeah that was weird yeah i mean they they put themselves in that position and it's fine um i i think they were smart to do that intro episode uh even though you know yeah now now it means a weird thing where they don't line up um i'll say the right person went home uh i Bye, Mila. I'm still finding my footing with this show as well. I've seen much less of it than you guys have seen of Drag Race. Uh, the unconventional materials challenge is as standard like Snatch Game is. And I feel as though a lot of them, I have been pretty whelmed about both what people do and what the challenge itself is. Uh, hasn't been good, hasn't been bad haven't had so many of those moments of like the revelation that is Jinx Monsoon doing little Edie. Uh, this to me was kind of like you were either that 
or you were sad and one person was bad. I, uh, I thought a couple of people were honestly, there were some people that should have been in the bottom who just didn't find themselves in the bottom the way they maybe should have. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, there is if there have to be bottoms, you could clearly I felt you could clearly see who was in the bottom. And there were some people that didn't make it there. Uh I did feel that the two people who were in the bottom were the two people for me where it was bad, specifically bad. Everybody else either shined or, you know, is fine. I don't, it wasn't, it to me was not bad. It was just like, eventually somebody has to be in the bottom and go home. Uh, so it was really cool to see all of these people shine and be stars. And, you know, they did the perfect reality TV manipulation of really convincing me that no one had this, that no one could figure out how to work with the material and not just try and turn stuffed animals into stoles. Uh, which, you know, <laughs> I, I read Kane for filth for doing, and then the rest of his look was perfect. The The stuffed animal stole was not necessary, but was fine, didn't matter. The rest of the look was incredible and was not just stuffed animals, was not just fur cloth toys, that everybody who did well managed to do such a good job using stuff uh, that was not fabric. One of my favorite things is when somebody sends something down the runway that the judges absolutely fucking hate, and then you remove one thing, and they're like, brilliant masterpiece. Yeah. And I think the stole is a good example of that, where like, <laughs> well, they, really, I, you could tell they did one not care for sometimes. the cloak either. Um, they, they were pretty like, what's under that cloak, motherfucker? You better take it off real soon. And then everybody had to eat their words. Um, yeah, just uh, what what a privilege to get to see people in the top of their element really getting to bring it and show what makes them the amazing people that they are. Uh, I Big shout out to Karasan, who I was saying it seems like this is a step in a direction for her where, um, you know, she to people a little bit more in the know is known like i did not know this i know this because of kebo now uh she does costumes for disney um that's an amazing job and having seen what she's done does a great thing this feels a little bit more like her saying but what if you knew me uh and i i'm pretty stoked to get to follow that that experience Karasan is just such a one-of-a-kind talent. Um, you know, we make a lot of jokes about how she lost her season, but so many people on this list are such second-place, one-of-a-kind talents. Karasan, Rami, Victor, Fabio, Brittany, Bijmi, Laurence. Like, so many of these You're people. You're just naming everybody who's on the show because they're all amazing. It's it's that hard. It's that kind of season. Uh it's it's finding out okay so this is not related to project runway for one second but something that always makes my heart sing is when somebody reveals something to me that i couldn't have known and uh he's not just unbelievably hot with his hands behind his head like that but he is brilliant and kevo uh found there's a modern family behind the scenes book that reveals yeah the Sophie's Choice bit that goes on to be multiple seasons of joke. 
is actually oh, a yeah. good stone street improv and that improv that that made it up that i don't know i just don't know i just i just don't know is how i feel about this cast it is sophie's choice for me picking between these people it's like i know i'm gonna get to an all-star season you know the only all-star season we haven't seen yet of the good all-star season is seven just like there's no season of the regular show five and on we haven't seen yet also of a project of of drag race and i don't know how i'm gonna watch the season that has shea coulee and jinx and root for only one of them when i mean i honestly i'm more of a shea coulee fan than a jinx fan but that's you know just what it is but that's what this feels like to me like it feels like i could be like well, i mean I'm, I'm more of a rami fan but i'm more of a of a Karasan fan but but i'm more of a hester fan but i'm more of a kato fan like i could do that all day for this you know kevo you've seen literally every episode of u.s project runway ever produced and i had some nerves that this season would maybe have a little bit more infighting but it's actually just been lovely and how do you feel revisiting these real people? This isn't bringing Murphy Brown back 25 years later. This is bringing Rami, real, incredibly hot Middle Eastern daddy, I love you, um, back onto television. And, you know, every time that we have gone back and watched an old season, we are always like, what is this person up to? What's that person up to? And, you know... It's hard to find updates sometimes. This isn't really the same industry as Drag Race where they are performing in the same way or just done performing and then you know. R.I.P. Uh, Wendy Pepper. Yeah, she's just done performing. <laughs> so, you know, uh, getting these updates on some of these people, some of whom uh, haven't even been gone that long but are still different from when we were introduced to them uh is really cool really fun uh it's a great amount of talent i really more than anything i really hope that this revitalizes the all-star season because i love all of these all-stars but there are other all-stars i would rather have not rather that's rude i but just love chris straub so much i just love chris straub so much um and would have really wanted to see him or yeah, what's his name? Of... Um, oh God, what's his name? Who's so beautiful and still posts how beautiful he is on his Chris Instagram. Palu. Oh my God! Or well, um... yeah, Sean Kelly. Sean Kelly, who posts he... yeah, that guy Ugh. posts thirst traps like it's an OnlyFans. Why didn't we go to Pride today? Because <laughs> of the rain. I want to yeah, see Christina true. Aguilera. I've seen Christina Aguilera, but I don't think I want to see Christina Aguilera soaking wet. Not that dirty. Not <laughs> that dirty. Um. Oh. Ladies, move. Gentlemen, move. Anyway, I think we've rang the alarm. There's a fire on the roof. And, uh, okay, let me ask a question. We talked about Secret Invasion, which is a show about who can you trust? We watched, we, we talked about Based on a True Story, which is a show about the fact that we don't always know we can trust ourselves. We talked about Crime Scene Kitchen, which is we don't always know that we can trust our senses. We talked about a number of reality shows, which is how much can you trust reality? My big question here is what do you guys trust 
to come out of this. For me, the one thing I know that I can be sure out of all of these shows that I'm going to get is I feel like Crime Scene Kitchen is going to continue to find obscure baking goods to include to continuously kind of confound the the bakers. But I'm sure as well that Project Runway is going to do a couple of really cool gowns that are going to remind us why all of these designers are geniuses, right? Does anybody else have any predictions that they're sure of for any of these shows, any of the like seven we talked about? Oh, and I'm going to continue to think uh, watching Tyler Florence eat is a sexual experience because it is. I'll say you can trust that there are a group of network executives sitting in a room that do not care what you think about the show. They only (laughs) care if you are watching or not. They only care if it's making money. They do not care how fuckable Chris Messina and Tom Bateman are when they kiss each other. If that brought in enough money to justify the next season we will see the show if it did not and unfortunately peacock is an unmitigated disaster in this realm (laughs) uh we very well might not see it nobody cares if you're angry at alexis michelle how's the season doing pretty well pretty well for drag race all stars you know this is a train that doesn't seem to be uh show any signs of stopping uh the only metric that that, like start you know eating baby livers in order to go on forever part of her situation there it is we love it but you know if we didn't love it enough to to do the numbers for peacock it's never going to happen for us again uh except for in the movie that i write that puts them together the only metric we can really follow for drag race because they're very secretive the world of wonder is secretive about numbers right and then it's on paramount Paramount plus so we don't get we don't get to touch them uh, but one thing you can measure is trendability. Yeah. And the trendability is up double digits yeah. over season seven. Evidently, I, it's the one season we haven't watched, but there was a humongous fall off about halfway through season seven because the winner was so obvious yeah. that it actually killed tweetability. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was also just like, uh, it could have been four episodes. It was a beautiful victory lap. But it was too structured like a drag race season when an all winner season is actually just an ongoing kind of pageant, but more than a pageant. I loved every minute of it, but I could have done it differently uh, to make it justifiable, um, you know, because none of those girls want to compete. They, right. They, they want to win. They already won and they're all amazing. So like the fact that they even got the girls that they got to do it was insane. And the fact that they were just like, yeah, you know, just like any other season of drag race was dumb. But yeah, I know what you're saying about trendability. Uh, you know, you also see like the memes, the hot takes are, are really churning out with every season of this. So, well, and speaking of churning out hot takes, let's go to our, our hottest taker. You know, hey. that made no sense, but still Just let him talk. Yeah, no. Kevo, tell me, what is the thing you know for sure about this slate of shows that we just spun? This probably won't affect the movies much. 
Wow. Um, guys, we can, uh, we can wind up. Kevo just won the Webby. So I hope I'm wrong. I hope something happens like Scar showing up in She-Hulk or <laughs> with his giant something. forehead. <laughs> Maybe they'll surprise us. And this is where we will finally be introduced to Teddy so that we finally have our complete set of Young Avengers. Uh, or, you know, complete original enough. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I really, really, really hope it surprises us, though. What? Well, I just, I just, I just, I just don't know. Well, just uh, you know, for what it's worth, the new rumor is that Kobe Smulders will be showing up in the uh, in the Marvels. I was gonna say in the pages of the Marvels, but it's a movie. Uh, that's that's the hot gossip. So who knows? Maybe it'll affect things in one particular way. Well, we'll see. Something for sure is that uh, the Northeast is facing Tropical Storm Cindy, and uh, she has decided to wage war outside. <laughs> so uh, we're wrapping up our broadcast anyway, and I don't we're know how long the we power have. Goes out. Yeah, till we have till the power goes out. So uh, to take a look at this board, uh, you know, it's a shame that Muppets Mayhem is wound up the same way Boats, uh, you know, that's uh, based on true story is wound up. Uh, my top number one uh, big thing for Muppets Mayhem that I'm proud of it for is giving the Mayhem its first number one ever. That's really cool. Uh, but my definite biggest excitement on this board is really seeing the way that having been two episodes in, this season of Strange New Worlds is going to play out. It's definitely cementing itself in the upper echelon of Star Trek. I think for me dynamic royalty with an opening salvo this was two episodes i'll never forget of a show that i'm already really invested in so it definitely got my attention how about you guys what's your number one on this board going into the next thing uh tk um, um at this point looking a little closer uh i'm gonna say loki um, just excited mm. to see what we're doing there. Th that'll be another real litmus test for where the MCU is at. Uh, God, I hate that this is like a news thing rather than just the show. But uh, Jonathan Majors uh, news is coming out about what is going on with that case. And it just feels like his uh, presence may continue. I'm not going to get into it too much, but... Uh, whether or not we have a Kang is like hugely important to the next six years. Uh, so, you know, I, I just want to see where we're at with Loki. It's still the thing I'm just like, I think about all the time is the Marvels. I just cannot wait for the Marvels. Yeah. And to our very own Ms. Marvel, Kevo, right? Cause I sort of figure I'm, I, I'm Captain Marvel, right? Uh, because I constantly wear a helmet. Couldn't he be Mr. Marvel? And TK, you're Photon um, because you look really great in white spandex. And T uh, that makes Kevo you, you're Ms. Marvel because you rock a bangle. So, Ms. Marvel, what are you excited about? Uh, you know, life... The universe and everything in general. Um, <laughs> Barbie, maybe? Yeah. 
Super uh, excited for Barbie. Let's not forget that Ken in French means anal sex. So this poster oh, yeah, that joke. in French says Barbie is everything and he's just here for the anal sex. Yep. That's Which right. Feels true. Yeah. So. Works for everyone. I love that you're here for Barbie. Now, does Ahsoka, as somebody who is the Star Wars guy of our crew and a very Star Wars guy, but, you know, you've kind of avoided the Ahsoka world by virtue of there's only so much time in a day and the things she was biggest in, you've had the least exposure to, though you've seen a grand amount of Clone Wars at this point. Uh, how do you feel about Ahsoka being on the schedule and it being such a polarizing actress who's in so many franchises? Well, yeah, and she's been in so many things that I've loved all my life, going back to my favorite movie of all time, Josie and the Pussycats. And, uh, you know, Dave Filoni, I think, uh, or Dan Gilroy, whichever one, whoever's in charge of this came out recently is saying that this is essentially Rebels Season 5, which, cool, good for them. But like you said, as someone who we only watched half of Clone Wars in chronological order, or not in in yeah the 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 correct viewing order not in airing order so we didn't even right. watch it the way it aired and we watched just a little over half didn't get to any other spinoffs um but as a consumer i almost specifically don't want to watch rebels before this because you're making a product that's supposed to be brand new and as much as i love all these things tying together and all that great stuff you have to make it so it's accessible to new audiences. Truly. And so I kind of want to experience this as someone who is just watching the live actions lately. And we're even caught up on most of those. We need to finish Andor. It's dry, but it's good. And we need to finish it. But other than that, we're pretty much caught up. And so we should be able to watch Ahsoka without having watched all 100 or whatever episodes of a children's cartoon show and be able to enjoy it and if we can't i think it says more about what they are doing with star wars and what they need to be focused on with star wars than anything else anyone is saying about any story choices well i'm completely with you and until they make a 100 episode remake and live action adaptation of the 13 ghosts of scooby-doo starring wishbone i do think our episode is at a wrap and uh, I've had such a great fucking time, whether it started with the, you know, buff, marry off, or it was talking about how many of those delicious desserts. I'm going to go eat a dessert right now, actually. Uh, I have had such a great time. Don't and forget to put your own answer in the comments. If you have any uh, answer of your own, who would you buff? Who would you marry? Who would you off? I want to uh, meet don't the forget... fury fuckers. Yeah. Uh, and I support them wholly. Uh, totally. Yeah. Well, next episode, uh, we're going to be taking a look at some comics on Wednesday. Uh, probably we'll take a look. And then this coming Saturday, we have a movie review uh, where we're going to be taking a look at The Little Mermaid, Transformers. Uh, side note, it ends with American propaganda and Elemental, among other films. Uh, really excited to celebrate uh, beautiful black women of color. What other black women are there? Uh, beautiful women of color uh, in all of their incredible lead role hood. 
whether it's the coded racial terms of elemental, which unfortunately does not seem to have hit quite as hard with audience as we would have liked, or it's the very direct uh, implications and real-world changes made by the boldness of the Disney company having a black aerial. This summer has been a really cool summer for movies. And of course, who could forget the incredible representation of animal car robots? <laughs> Is there anything Michelle Yeoh won't do for money? No. no you know no, what? She you. won't be on this show. Uh, Michelle... Michelle, I need you to explain. You, it almost seems homophobic please. that you won't be yeah. on this show. So, Michelle Yo, if you want to fight uh, yomophobia, you're going to come be on this Kevo, show. end the broadcast quick. I know, right? We're going to right. Be brave, evolve daily, and stay fucking sharp as shit. We think you're amazing, and we can't wait to see you next time. Check out X's for show on all your social media, and remember... Uh, you're awesome. Stay awesome. And we can't wait to see you again next time. You click it yourself. <laughs> next time I wasn't ready. You can't go that fast. I don't know what the button is, so I'd click it, but I don't know oh. the button. See, now I'm at the button. I have to get to the button. Okay, I wait, love let me you do it again. all. Let me do it okay. again. Okay. Be brave. Evolve daily. Stay sharp and we'll see you.